0: Uh, turn with us to Psalm 19. Um, and uh, we are going to spend a lot of time there tonight. Um, and while you're doing that, I just want to just kind of recap from last week. Uh, my, my boy Drew uh, did a phenomenal job of kicking us off and talking about apologetics. Um, and apologetics, simply defined in the Greek, just means to give defense. It's very simple. It's not Complicated, And as Drew uh, so very well and very directly told us, um, each believer in Christ, we are commanded in Scripture to be not just a theologian and an evangelist, but an apologist. Um, that is very, very, very important. We are all called to defend uh, the hope that we have, and we're going to get there in a second. Uh, a couple of takeaways from last week that stuck with me. Um, You know, I'm a big Marvel movie guy, so the Hulk and Loki thing was awesome. Um, But what a great picture of what apologetics is not supposed to be. Uh, And the main passage that we looked at last week was 1 Peter 3.15, which says this, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. This week, we're going to dive into, if I can not knock this table over, there we go. We're going to dive into um, what is our main offensive weapon as well as the defensive tool that we have in this life when it comes to being those things that we're commanded to be, a believer in Jesus Christ. We could stop right there and say that, that, that is this is what we need. This book is to be our most prized treasure and possession because of its infallibility. And, and, and I'm gonna use some words tonight, and you may go, man, I have no idea what those words mean. My goal is I'm gonna try to define them as I go, okay? Infallible simply means not able to fail. It will not fail, okay? Um, an example of things that could fail, a rotting chair, that could fail. You sit in it, you're gonna fall and you're behind. Scripture never fails, God's word is also inerrant. Very simply, that means without error. There are no contradictions found in God's word. And it's completely sufficient, meaning that it, it contains everything we need in this life. So Thomas Watson, the great Puritan, he said this in his book, A Body of Divinity. He said, the holy scriptures are the richest jewel that Christ has left us. Our Lord Jesus himself in John 17, verse 17, when he's praying for his elect, he says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. The ministry of the word of God in our lives is primary, and we have to treat it as so. We are subject to it in all aspects of life, whether we like it or not. And as 1 Peter 3 tells us, that we are called, commanded, and told to be sober-minded, diligent, ready, always ready, always ready to give defense for the hope that we have with gentleness, dignity, and respect. So the question is, how do we do that? What does that look like for us? Uh, So uh, I'm going to give us three things. We're going to unpack two of them quickly, and the third is going to take some time, okay? So if, if you like to take notes, this is where you would start taking notes, So first and foremost, scripture is to, or or apologetics is to be clear. That means it's to be simple. And it's a really simple point. If it's not simple, let's be honest, we're not gonna do it. Correct? If it's too complicated, it's gonna be like, hey, let me ask you a question. You're gonna be like, "I, I don't really know what to do about that. I'm gonna come back to that and we never do. It has to be simple. Apologetics is not just for the elite Christians. It's not for the Navy SEALs of Christianity. It is for every single one of us. We are all called and commanded to be apologists. Point two, told you, it's gonna be quick for the first two. Conversational. Apologetics must be engaging and relational. It's having a conversation with someone, okay? And this may step on some toes tonight, but Facebook memes and social media battles are not good examples of apologetics. For the love of Pete, There's a soul on the other side of that keyboard. And third, it's all just quick, biblical. Apologetics is to be biblical. And we're gonna camp here for the rest of our time tonight. And we're gonna dive into talking through why we trust in the sovereignty of the word of God in our lives for all things spiritual and beyond. Okay, so let's pray and then we're we're gonna jump in. Father, we love you and we thank you God, I pray in the name of Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would move in this place as only you can. In Christ's name, and everybody said, amen. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 says this. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness, Through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Everything we need, brothers and sisters, is clearly and conversationally um, defined in Scripture. Everything we have to defend is right here in this book. There are no new revelations from the Holy Spirit today. The Scripture, the canon of Scripture, is closed, meaning this you want to hear the Holy Spirit speak to you, read the Bible out loud. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 reminds us that we have a more sure word from God than miracles, signs, and wonders. That's not the normative way that the Lord speaks to us today. What we need is right here, and we could spend, and we should spend our entire lives mining Holy Scripture, and we would still never get to the bottom of the well. So often in today's contemporary culture, there are so many who say this. They say, God is bigger than his book. Sure, God is bigger than this book physically. And scripture does say that should all the attributes of God be written down, that thousands of books could not contain it. But can I remind all of us tonight, all of us, this book is bigger than us. God is bigger than a book, but this book is bigger than us. Thomas Watson said, until we are above sin, we shall never be above scripture. Scripture is always above us and has authority over us in our lives. So, a quick note about the Holy Spirit's work why the Holy Spirit is not giving us new revelations. We need the Spirit of God, absolutely need the Holy Spirit for the inward illumination initially at the time of salvation and the continued application, understanding of the mind of God and the Word and the Holy Scriptures. He opens our minds to the beauty and the wonders found in his word. Scripture is sufficient for all of our needs and those needs are vast. We are very needy people, amen? I know I am. I don't know about y'all, but I am. Sin has left us fools, blind, deaf, dumb to the truth and the power of scripture. We need the Holy Spirit to shine his light brighter than the sun into our hearts. And that truly does make the statement in Scripture in Genesis chapter 1 when God said, Let there be light. It's the same thing that happens to us in salvation and sanctification. So the answers that we need are found written in this book. We are not required, hear me, we are not required to defend what's not here. We're not required to defend what we don't believe. When it comes to heresies, when it comes to false teaching, Everything we need to know about the truth is found in here. You don't have to know all the heresies, all the false teaching, everything about, and Drew said it last week, about Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and the NAR and the Word of Faith movement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You don't have to know all the details about that. But here's how you defend it, right here. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all Scripture, all Scripture Is inspired or breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction. For training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Are we seeing a theme here? All things as it pertains to life and to godliness. Every good work. So here in the Bible, we have the very mind of God. 1 Corinthians 2 tells us. Scripture is holy. Holy. This is a holy book. It is sanctified, set apart from any and all other writings that we have ever had and will ever exist. Scripture alone holds the very breath of life from God himself. Hebrews says that the word is living and active. And Peter, in 1 Peter 1.23 says that the word of God is living and enduring. What could be plainer, church, than in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? What could be clearer, that that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus? What could be more comforting than neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord? What could be more sure than Christ's promise that the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you everything I've said to you? It's all here. God gave it to us so that we may glorify Him and have the answers that we need. So, quick question How many books are in the Bible? Hey, all right. Old Testament, how many? How many in the New Testament? Nice. 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. So now we're going to move to Psalm 19. We're going to get into our text, and we're going to spend a lot of time here. And a quick word here. I am reading tonight. I'm going against the grain, and I'm sorry, but I'm doing it on purpose. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Everybody else in here has an ESV, pretty much. Okay? Um, And as far as translations matter, okay, they really do. Um, and the ESV, when you look at the literal word for word translation of scripture, as far as the original languages to English and sentence structure, the new American standard is the closest thing that we have, but the ESV is like right there. It's, it, they overlap in so many different ways. Okay. So you're going to notice some different, some phrases different, but that's good. I want you to see this. Words are important. Hello. Okay. Psalm 19. Here we go. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. And we're going to read all the way through this, and then we're going to go back and unpack it. The heavens are telling the the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. In them, he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. It is rising from one end of the heavens to the other. And there, there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Equip me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Man, this Psalm 19 is often called the most direct and concise chapter of Scripture you would find for Scripture's own defense of itself. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, you don't need to defend Scripture, just uncage the lion and let it go. He said that multiple times. So, as we dive in here, let's look at the first verse, okay? And we're going we're to move over the first six verses pretty quick, and we're going to spend a lot of time in, in seven, uh, 7 through 9. Um, so the first uh, section here, something I want us to notice is this. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. So I want to also call your attention to Romans 1.20. says this for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse so paul most likely had psalm 19:1 on his mind when he wrote this in romans chapter 1 this is what's called and you're going you may hear this and you may have already heard it it's called general revelation Okay, so four things here that I just want us to see really quick about general revelation. In verse one, we see, we see it. Creation is pointing us to his glory. The stars and the sun are beautiful, right? Who has, who has ever been outside of a city and been able to see the Milky Way? Raise your hand, anybody? Ray, beautiful, right? Absolutely astonishing, so if we look at that in the vast expanse of the universe and how glorious and beautiful that is, what should that tell us about its creator, our creator, personal creator? How much more glorious is he? He's the one that spoke them into existence. He made them all. Something else to note here is that the glory of creation doesn't reveal or testify about any of God's moral attributes, such as justice, mercy, wrath, love, graciousness, goodness, compassion, etc. It does point to his existence, though. His sheer might and power. And because of this alone, it should inspire or push us to fall down on our knees and worship him with praise and adoration second point here about this just first section is his creation is pointing to his majesty right we talked about that it never stops look at verses two through four day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge there is no speech nor are there words their voice is not heard their line has gone through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world Everything from the stars in the sky to the petals on flowers and blades of grass, the rain falling, the storms rumbling, light, gravity, thermodynamics, all of it, all points to God. It's universal, meaning that everyone on the planet can see these attributes. That's key. Remember that. Place a little check mark in your brain. Remember that. And it's clear. This is very clear. You don't need an engineering degree to see it. How beautiful was it today? The sunshine and the wind blowing. It all points to the glory of God. Speaking of the sun, look, check this out. Look at the second part of verse four and verse five um, and six. Um, it says this, in them, he has placed a tent for the sun, which is the bridegroom coming out Uh, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, it rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit is to the other end of them and there's nothing hidden from its heat. John Stott said this, he calls the sun a particular example of the universal witness to God by the heavens. David describes the sun as the crowning achievement of God's creation. Without the sun, we have no life on this planet. So verse four, he says, a tent for the sun. This is most likely referring to the night sky as the sun retreats as it sets and rises from the night sky in the morning. Beautiful imagery here by David. So something else that that we are to, to really note here and pay attention to, and it's not in this passage of scripture, but I think it bears saying is that every person ever created on the planet is made in the image of God. The, uh, and, and you may hear this term as the Imago Dei. And every person should be treated as such, as they are made in the image of God. The, the divine imprint of our creator is stamped on each of us. And even though we're falling creatures, his divine image is still there. This revelation is, is, is what leads believers everywhere to prayer and praise and valuing all life. So from an apologetics and a defense standpoint, and Drew said this last week, this is is where we start. It's called presupposition or presupposing. Okay, an easier word to remember is assuming. This is assuming the existence of God, assuming in an absolute way the existence of God. So when defending our faith, there's no need for us to feel as though we need to fight to prove the existence of God. Whether it's a believer or unbeliever, they already know. They may not accept it, they may be in denial, or they may embrace it. There is an existence of a creator. Now, that's general revelation. The Westminster Confession of Faith says this, although... The light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness and the wisdom and power of God as to leave men inexcusable. Remember Romans. Paul said they're without excuse. Everybody is without excuse if they deny the existence of God. Yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God his will and what is necessary for salvation. It doesn't matter how thoughtful you are, how book smart or street smart someone is. No one without God's divine intervention through the proclamation of his word and the power of the Holy Spirit will ever find their way to salvation, period. No one seeks God. No one, Romans 3, nobody does. The goal of all Christian theology is to or should be to show the ultimate way to eternal life and how to live for his glory. That's the purpose of scripture. In your small group questions tonight, I'm giving you the answers to one of the questions right now. The purpose of scripture is to reveal God, his self-revelation, and all we need to know for salvation in life. So, newsflash. The Bible's not about us. This is a book written of God, about God, and for God. Let's not lose The epicenter of this earthquake, given in scripture for the little aftershocks that we are. And as we've said multiple times, and this is crucial, we need to remember that everything we need for life and godliness is found here. So, back to Psalm 19 finally. Verse 7 says this The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. So the law here is the divine teaching, okay? So I'm gonna give you some bigger words, but again, I'm gonna define them, okay? Everything we need as far as doctrine, simple way to define doctrine, it's what we believe. Our character is who we are, and what we do is our conduct, it's good for teaching and instruction for man's life for life. And it is perfect. James 1.25 says it, that it's whole, it's complete, it's lacking nothing, it's all sided. And it is good for restoring, transforming the soul. Romans 10 says faith comes by hearing. Scripture and the proclamation of the gospel is the vehicle that the Holy Spirit uses to convert, regenerate the heart and soul itself, the inner person, the whole of someone. The Hebrew word there is nepesh. It is the total person. Ephesians 2 says from death to life. God's word has the power for total transformation. 1 um, Peter 1, and I mentioned this earlier, um, in verses 23 and 24 says that we're born not out of a corruptible seed, but the word of God, which lasts forever. Romans 1.16, we'll back it up to 15. Romans 1.15, Paul says he's eager to preach the gospel to the Romans. And then verse 16, he says he's not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. Psalm 119, by the way, quick note, Psalm 119 and Psalm 19 parallel very much. Here's the difference. Psalm 119 has 176 verses. We don't have time to get into all that tonight. But I challenge you to go read it because it's really good. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna reference a little bit of it. Psalm 119:41 41 says, your salvation is according to your word. God takes his word, whether it's read or preached, and, and, and shoots it like a rifle into our hearts. Psalm 119.81 says, my soul faints for salvation, but I hope in your word. That's why, this, this is exactly why, you guys, brothers and sisters, this is exactly why the saying, preach the word, if necessary, use words, is hogwash. You have to use words. God used words. Hello. Moving on. Verse 7. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. The testimony is his witness. It is who he is, what he requires. It is sure. It's not insecure. It's not wavering. It's not changing. It's not shifting. It's not unreliable. It is immovable. It is immutable. It is a foundation that can be built upon without any sort of hesitation. Again, 2 Peter 1 Peter's recapping what he saw. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. A few weeks ago, Brent, Pastor Brent talked about Matthew 17, the Mount of Transfiguration. So here's Peter and 2 Peter talking about this. He's seen this. He's seen the miracles, the signs and the wonders for crying out loud, read the book of Acts and see what the apostles were able to do as they were establishing authority. But he said, there is a more sure word than this. Scripture, the Bible is more sure than signs, miracles, and wonders. They had their place. But for us today, his Holy Spirit-inspired word is more sure than they will ever be today. Experience is never above truth. So he says this. He says, the testimony of the Lord is short, making wise the simple. Very, very important here. Simple means an open door, foolish, naive, undiscerning, Right? That's where we all started. Can I get an amen? That's where I started. I was foolish. I was naive. I was simple. It says it makes wise the simple. Scripture, the Holy Spirit uses Scripture to sanctify and to grow us. The word wise here means, means literally in the Hebrew, a sk- skilled in the art of godly and practical and daily living. And it is accomplished through the application of the word of God. There's no need to go outside of Scripture for anything. Everything in Scripture is relevant and practical, not just for when it was written, but for today and the future. Moving on, the precepts of the Lord, verse 8, are right, rejoicing the heart. Where do we go for joy, relief, happiness, deliverance? If we are running to anything other than Scripture, we are running away from joy. Just a practical example for you guys. Psalm 77, write write down Psalm 77. If you're ever in a place where you are weary, read Psalm 77. The first 10 verses are the psalmist lament and crying out, but then he starts preaching to himself, reminding himself of the promises of scripture. So the precepts of the Lord are sure. They're right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. His commandment, his divine decrees, his authority, the non-optional character of scripture. Scripture is not full of ideas, but commands. And it's pure, and it's clear. It's not confusing, and it's not muddy. Yes, there are things that may require some dip- But overall, when it it comes to matters of salvation, sanctification, and what the Lord wants for worship in his church, it is crystal clear. It enlightens the eyes. Proverbs 6.23 says that the the commandments of the Lord is a lamp and a teaching of life. When we can't see, again, when we can't see through the fog of life, we turn to his word. When parents won't stop arguing, when temptation won't let up, we turn to his word. The fear of the Lord, verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Fear is literally defined in the Hebrew as, as fear, being afraid terror, revered, the awesomeness and the might of God that leads us to worship. We talked about general revelation. Hello, he speaks stars and the universe into existence. Scientists have said even today that the universe is still expanding. That's our God. That should terrify you. God sees all. The fear of the Lord is clean, Enduring forever. What does it mean that it's clean? It's not impure. There's no filthiness, defilement, or imperfection. There's no evil corruption. And again, it's inerrant. It's without error. It can be trusted. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. His divine verdicts. Church, he is the judge. We don't get to tell him what to do. As much as we'd like to think we do, and Lord knows I've had those moments. And again, I'm reminded of that Thomas Watson quote, until we are above sin, we will never be above scripture. Deuteronomy four two says that we shall not add to the word of God, it is complete. Galatians 1 tells us that anybody that adds to the gospel is anathema. For the sake of... Um, not wanting to be crass, I, w- I, won't, I won't really get into what that word means. Go look it up anathema. Revelation 22, 18, and 19 says that if anybody adds to, to what's in this book, then the curses found in this book will be added unto them. Not trusting in Scripture ensures what, again, Thomas Watson has been blowing my mind lately. He says not trusting in scriptures, Scripture will turn Christians into what's called feathery Christians, unsettled, blown around by every wind of doctrine. So moving into the last part, do we value his word? Verse 10 says they are more desirable than gold, yes, much more than fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. We have the very mind of God Is it more precious to us than anything else we could have? Nothing is as sweet, pleasurable, enriching. So what do we seek? Where do we spend our time? Jonathan Edwards said, to waste time is to rob God of his ascribed glory. Are we spending more time on social media? On Netflix? Are we more excited about a television show? And this goes for any television show, let me just say this. That, that has things in it that strictly go against what God says we are to set before our eyes and our ears. Are we more excited about that than the very word of God? The mind of God that can protect us and and hold us. Wasted time is time we will never get back. And we want to let his word govern our lives. It's not that we're being legalistic or fundamentalists. But but look look at what he says. Look at this. Verse 11. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Okay, so what that means is the sins that I didn't know I've committed, haven't committed yet. Also, verse 13, to keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. The sins that we know we're committing. So we hear, I've heard Joe say this a good bit, right? The sins of commission and omission. So if we are diligently daily as the Bereans in Acts 17 are hiding God's word in our heart in Romans 12, in our minds, it's going to protect us. And hear me, I wish, and, and this is such an old man thing to say, right? You guys know what's coming. I wish I would have had this when I was your age. It's the truth. Do you know how much heartache could have been avoided in my life? Last month, Drew and I had the opportunity to go to a conference in California where we heard an hour and a half lecture on Jonathan Edwards, and it wrecked me, y'all. When Jonathan Edwards started talking about that when we waste time, we're wasting God's glory. And I'm going, I have wasted a lot of time on things that don't matter. In fact, on the plane right out there, instead of reading, instead of praying, I'm watching The Punisher. Just being real, just being honest with you guys. That was extremely convicting for me sitting in that room. And I've had to make changes. And look, I'm not saying don't enjoy life. I'm not saying don't have the things to entertain you. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is what you put before your eyes, what you put in your ears, matters and will affect every aspect of your life. We are called to be holy as he is holy. And so guess what? That's gonna hurt when you have to die to yourself and die to your wants and needs and desires. Moving on. So I've talked about a lot, as usual. So what? Knowing all of this concerning scripture and apologetics, again, where are we spending our time? There are some practical things that you guys can do um, to, to help you in your study of Scripture. And one of them lately uh, that has just blown my mind up are what's called catechisms. Who knows what a catechism is? Okay? So all that is, is it's just a question and answer uh, way to learn. Okay? Um, what's two times two? What's three times two? You get it, right? It's how you memorize well, uh, six, uh, anyway. I, heard, I heard that. I heard the stuttering of some of you. It, it, right? I used to love, let me just say this. I used to love that, you know, you get those sheets where you're timed in the times tables, division, addition, subtraction. I was great at addition and multiplication. Subtraction and division wrecked me. I'm, I'm, Couldn't do it. But multiplication, I got to where I was able to memorize it. That's all catechisms are. And listen, check this out. My son is three years old. Okay, I'm going to brag on him for a minute. He's super smart, and that's not of my doing. That's the Lord and my wife. Um, Amen. Um, So one of the things I've been working with him since he was, before he was one, is catechisms. So these are the things that I ask him, and here are the responses. Noah, who made you? God made me. What else did God make? Everything. Who's the Redeemer? Jesus. What did Jesus redeem us from? Sin. How do we hear from God? God's Word. Uh, Who's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? The Trinity. Who's the father? God. Who's the son? Jesus. Who's the spirit? The spirit. How are we saved, buddy? By faith alone, in Christ alone. What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. When do we use the name of God? In prayer and in praise. Do you realize how much doctrine that is? And, 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 and he doesn't get it now, right? He's just like, oh, this is fun with daddy. And I'm just, remember, I'm just, you know, we're laughing and cutting up. And I'll say, Noah, what did Jesus come to redeem us from? He'll go, sin, like this. You know, it's, it's, it's a game to him, but he's memorizing that. And I am praying, diligently praying for the day when the Lord saves him and he's able to go, oh. But y'all, catechisms, the creeds, they were written in response to heresies and to help you teach to help you learn doctrine, to help you learn what's in this book. His word, his word is to be our rule of faith in life. In his word, we learn who and how to worship, who and how to trust for salvation, all of our needs. It should be read often, treasured over all, To ignore his holy word is to ensure that you are doomed to stumble into what theologians call deepening darkness. To embrace and and believe and to walk in his precepts shows that you will never be without his light and you will surely find your way to your father's home. So, everybody turn to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. Yes, it'll be on your screen, but I want you to see the different words tonight. So often we're told, preach the gospel, right? But I sometimes think that the church, not our church, the church, has done a poor job of equipping us of what is necessary when presenting the gospel. Ephesians 4, or I'm sorry, excuse me, that's not it. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, look, the new things have come as though God were making his appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on my or our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So as we close tonight, five quick things that the gospel, when you present the gospel, when you speak up the gospel, they have to be in there. Number one, verse 14, substitution. You often hear pastors and theologians say it's called penal substitutionary atonement. Simply, what that means is he died in behalf of or in the place of all of his children, all who would believe. This is the very heartbeat of Christianity. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him and his scourging, and by his scourging we are healed. Romans 3 being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which was in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Salvation is very personal. He took our sins to the cross. The wrath that we deserved was put upon him. Number two, so we got substitution. Number two is transformation and sanctification. Sanctification initially is also called justification. We're gonna to get to that. But sanctification and justification are what's called monergistic. Again, I know that's a big word. What that means is it's completely his doing. Romans 9 says it it doesn't matter on the man who wills or runs. Salvation is completely a work of God. Salvation is not activated when we pray a prayer. Salvation is not activated when we decide that we are ready to follow God. Salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit. Truth is transforming. The Lord uses his word, his gospel, to transform us into new creatures. Number three, regeneration. Verses 16 and 17. Check this out. Therefore now on we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we Know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Listen to me. If you are a child of God, you can no longer say, I am a sinner. As in, that's my nature. Yes, we still sin. Yes, we still struggle in the flesh. There is a war that is going on inside of us constantly. But your nature, your identity is no longer in your sin, but in Christ Jesus. Christ has, God has given understanding to our minds, love into our hearts, true love into our hearts, and he's renewed our will in Christ. Ephesians 2 tells us we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but that God has made us alive. Again, and I said this earlier, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says that God speaks light and life into our hearts. And then lastly, justification or imputation. Again, big words, okay? This is the legal or forensic term that comes from a Greek word that means that we have been declared righteous. We have been pardoned of our sin and guilt. The penalty of sin and death has been imputed unto Christ and Christ's righteousness from the perfect life that he lived has been imputed or given to us. That is how we are accepted by God. God declares a sinner righteous solely on the basis and the merits of Christ's righteousness alone. So we see all of this here in in, in this passage of scripture. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you and hear me tonight. If you are in this room and and, and tonight you have never repented and put your faith in Jesus, this next section is for you. I beg you on behalf of Jesus Christ, turn to him, repent of your sin, put your faith in his perfect works. Be reconciled to God. The time is now. Verse 21, what a beautiful verse. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Father, tonight, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonder, the majesty, the beauty, the truth, the, the never-ending well that we will spend or should spend our lives mining and we'll never get to the bottom of it. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that all of us in this place, God, that we would stick our faces and nose and minds and hearts in your word to try, to try to oversaturate ourselves in your word. God, there's great reward for that. And it isn't earthly treasure, it is protection. Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So God, I pray that you would do your work God, in it through our lives, through the power of the Holy Spirit, by the proclamation of your counsel. God, may we treasure your word more than gold, much more than fine gold, sweeter than the honey dripping from the honeycomb. Sanctify us in your truth, God. We join with Christ in that prayer. We beg of you, sanctify us in your truth. Your word alone is truth. God, we love you because you first loved us and we thank you in Christ's precious and powerful name we pray. And everybody said,